Hi there, Rod here. Don't be alarmed, this is as advertised a Tamsin week, a week where we get to hear um, Tamsin talk to us about the incarnation, but unfortunately on Sunday we uh, forgot to record until after the passages had been read, so I thought I would jump on before I hand over to Tamsin to read the passages for you. This is the last week of our series, our Advent series on the Incarnation, or Incarnations as we've called it. And uh, it's been a series where we've looked at understandings of the Incarnation that we all grew up with and talked about those that remain helpful, those that perhaps need to be set aside and those that we could add to our view of the Incarnation that are perhaps more life-giving. So with no further ado, how about I read those passages? Uh, the first is Luke 1, 39 to 45. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. The second passage is also from Luke, Luke 2, 1 to 7. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her first son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, so that's all from me. I'm going to hand over to Tamsin now. Like I mentioned before, I'm in Meetung at the moment, um, on the top of a cliff overlooking my little breakout group, got a bit of a, a scope of where my view is, and... Um, there's calm lakes, very close by is lakes entrance with this. I went for a walk on lakes entrance um, and the wild ocean, like the sand was sort of biting your legs and it was so overwhelmingly rugged and intense and kind of invigorating, you know, when you encounter nature that's in your face and kind of aggressive. Um, and so there's this beautiful sort of juxtaposition of these two bodies of water or one, I suppose, but um, in different states. Um, and also my view holds so many spider webs. <laughs> Welcome to my biggest issue this holiday. 
has been there's lots of spiders here and they're kind of big but look perhaps harmless weaving webs everywhere um, of which I struggle with um, but there's lots of mosquitoes here too so they're all caught up in the webs so I appreciate the spiders doing their job so I'm, I'm kind of trying to be reflective here and um, appreciate all that this view in front of me holds um, and I guess linking back to sort of what Rod said um, and something that Richard Raw has, has sort of introduced or um, commented on is um, when we refer to the incarnation there's almost a sense this the first incarnation was God incarnated in the universe itself in the creation of everything God entered into our space unifying spirit and matter and God in all things was the landscape you know we see in Genesis um, and he reflecting on this you know this view um, God in all things, not sort of, I'm not in a church right now, I'm not going somewhere that holy or separate. All of this is holy and God-filled and somewhat divine in its nature. Um, and, and I find that I didn't grow up with that perspective of kind of I started perhaps with the second incarnation of or, or the Jesus story rather than the landscape story um, that the earth is the dwelling place of God. Um, and for me, I, I resonate with this big picture of God present in all things and through all things um, and have really enjoyed that part of my faith getting bigger rather than starting with the small story. Um, and, yes, that kind of then I guess we kind of now, as we talk about the incarnation, we hone in like in those movies that start out in space and the, the camera gets smaller, we see earth and then we hone in on, we see kind of a country and then a city and then a like a Google Earth zoom. Um, we, we head into um, this story where the text comes from um, right down into the story of Mary um, and Mary pregnant of all things. Um, and I, I think I, I chose the two verses because this first um, verse um, is so important when Elizabeth, whether it's exaggerated language, Stuart, as you said, by the writers or actually happened, but Elizabeth's comment, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. There's this sort of double blessing that Mary, you are blessed and what you're carrying is also blessed. Who you are carrying is blessed. Um, there's kind of two, two blessings in that context. Um, and then the second text of Mer this moving out from Mary's pregnancy journey into now less about Mary herself, more about the context where she's living. Um, and that's why we get such a brief. She gave birth to her firstborn son and having given birth recently, <laughs> like you don't explain your birth like, and I gave birth on the 24th you know, of May. And what are we having for dinner? Like you don't, you know, I'm now like the crazy lady who talk, who's desperate to talk about like a three-hour birth story. Who wants to listen to me talk about? <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to listen to me talk about my birth story. But I love it. I love talking. Maybe Mel, maybe Mel would appreciate it. But um, but yeah, my I wouldn't write it like that. I would, I would make it much more broad. Um, but I um from these two things um. Yeah, I'd like to ask us a question before I kind of hone in on one part of it. And if we can just have a, a moment to imagine um, whatever age you want to choose, but what would Jesus, what do you think Jesus actually physically looked like? 
um, I've always disliked these exercises because they seem a bit sentimental. But um, but can you picture an image, perhaps a um, a fifteen year old Jesus, or what what did he actually look like? Um, so let's just take a minute to picture. How would you view? How would you imagine the person of Jesus whom this honed in story is now introducing us to? So just have let your imagination go wild. Any thoughts on what? Hi Anna. Hi guys. Hi Tim. Um, imagining what Jesus looked like randomly. Welcome, welcome to church. Um, <laughs> Anyone have any like thoughts or curiosities about perhaps what Jesus would have looked like? You just have to unmute yourself. So maybe like somebody in Balaclava, but without the big black hats. I don't know Balaclava. Is that a show? No, it's a suburb. Oh. We get lots of Jewish people in Balaclava. I don't live actually too far from there. So with the, the little ringlets kind of. Yeah, I mean, I feel, probably first best to point out he's, he's brown. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking about teenage Jesus, like Jesus of acne and body odor before deodorant. Like just the... Yeah, like often religious art kind of takes you away from the humanity, like from the smells and, uh, yeah, just what it is to be an embodied human, particularly an embodied, yeah, teenage boy man. Mm. I wonder how much she looked like Mary. Yeah, yeah I, might, I might jump on that, Mel. Like, um, yeah, if we think about it... Um, Jesus would have looked like Mary. Um, what does she look like, you know? Um, I, and I'm in a context now where with holding a baby who, don't tell George, but looks a fair bit like me. <laughs> than, so she's carrying my DNA and little blonde thing, a blue-eyed. Um, she doesn't quite have the Greek Mediterranean thing going on just yet. I try and reassure George that she's got his toes, but he doesn't seem quite satisfied with, just a small portion. Maybe that's how Joseph felt. <laughs> but um, see you, Alexis. Um, but, yeah, in this story, Jesus, to be fully human, would have held Mary's DNA, perhaps her jawline. He might have shared her short legs, you know, or um, we, we have such an idealised version of, of Jesus being this kind of particular image that, you know, tall and, very European and handsome, and but he could have been quite ruddy, you know, and held Mary's eye, eye, the shape of Mary's eyes, and perhaps the Joseph's accent or mannerisms that he would have picked up, just as Annika's starting to pick up our sort of mannerisms in our house. And I think her first word is definitely going to be um, "oppa" because we say that all the time. Um, so I don't know about mum or dad, but I imagine. Oppa is going to be her first word. Um, but I, I observe in this that I don't know why I've never really thought that Jesus would have been, he's of her DNA. He's not a token 
token connection to Mary, but actually um, as interwoven as two people can actually be um, is as he and Mary um, to, to look just like her. Um, and the church has fought this oh, so much has, for years and years and years, right from the early church into today, has, has battled over how much of Mary was Jesus or I guess I could call it like the, a battle over Mary's womb of what was actually happening. Um, there's this, this word called theotokos, which means Mary was a God-bearer. Like she, was, she carried and she gave birth to God, God's self, not just a human but to God, that there was a mushing together of, of her and of the divine that created Jesus, not half-half. It was a complete inseparable connection between God and, and, and person just like at the first incarnation, but this incarnation is this, is this honed in, mushing God present in matter. Um, but the church also, part of the church, wanted to call Mary Christotokos, just the Christ mother. She was only the mother of the human part, but not the divine part. Um, and then there's the, the party that she was just a borrowed womb, which is a terrible term, but I guess she was, Mary was the surrogate of of Jesus, so the Holy Spirit put a, a fully formed little Jesus within her, and she sort of said yes, and that's all. Her role was as a surrogate rather than an actual contributor, genetic contributor to who he was. Um, and we would probably go back to the Theotokos of just Mary holds her part of the story is not just a human part, but it. It's intermushed with the divine part. Um, I wrote down, it's all mushed into one sacred bloody birth story. Can you tell I've given birth recently and slightly traumatised by the experience? Um, but the miracle is that God was in the very midst of it. Again, like the original incarnation, it's that spirit and matter are not separate um, and that they had their they're completely connected. And Mary kind of stands right in the middle of that battle and as a she herself was part of the divine story um, and that everything indeed was spiritual. She wasn't part human, part divine, but everything was spiritual. Um, Rob Bell has got a book out, I think, called Everything is Spiritual. Um, and recently on a podcast I heard him say, oh, that's just now his one message. He's After all his sermons that he's preached about um, all parts of the church, etc. But he's coming back to the everything is spiritual, um, and he'll say it a hundred times over. And knowing Rob Bell, he'll say it a million ways. But um, but I sort of like that. That um, yeah, everything is uh, the journey of good religion is to find that truth. Um, and we see it in the big incarnation and in nature, in that the presence of God in our country, in our land. Um, in the, the cosmos, as Rod looks out to the you know to the moons, like we see the divine out there as much as anywhere, but also in this honed-in story, which you'll see on cards and under Christmas trees about Mary, and she's such a controversial person standing in in the midst of this honed-in story is is a woman who, in within herself, within her body, stood for this mushed incarnation, this enmeshing of the divine and the human um, so that she gave birth in a bloody, messy, glorious context to an enmeshed story, not a separate story. 
Um, and the good news is sort of Rod and, and Shane have been sort of talking about as we return to the good news of Christmas of, is that we still live in a completely enmeshed story that we don't separate the sacred and the secular or matter and spirit, but we continue that um, even within our lives, you know, everything is spiritual um, and that, that God is not dwelling in one part and not another and, and Jesus in Jesus' own body holds that truth as well. But, um, and that, you know, the opposite of sin, sin, sin being separation, I don't like the term anymore, but, but reconnection, that we can be reconciled people who are comfortable in that. Um, yeah, so I, I guess that was my little thoughts on, on, on the story of Mary as she plays this little story where she is blessed and her, her, the fruit of her womb is blessed, but she's also remarkable because she, she is another point of complete participation and co-creation with the divine to remind us again that these are not separate halves of life, that everything is spiritual. Um, so I thought maybe we'll just have a minute um, before we do communion um, uh, of just picturing your next few days and um, how Christmas might look and, and Mel holding all the worries of what you're actually, what's going to happen in the next few weeks. And, um, but what, what does it mean for Emmanuel, for God with us um, in these next few weeks on Christmas Day? I'm sure many people are not going to be doing Christmas exactly as they'd planned, especially from Sydney's perspective, um, but definitely internationally as well. Um, but everything is somehow spiritual and we don't always understand that. Um, and, and God is not a far entity, um, but is in the midst of grief and pain and, and separation and closeness, um, not always easy to see um, and, of, and often can be quite hard to pick it our head around. But let's have a minute of just reflecting on Emmanuel, God with us, um, and that God is in the big picture in these small zoomed in tiny pictures. Um, and then if you want to get your communion elements ready, um, we will have communion ready. I didn't plan, so I've got some drinks of a cup of tea and a half-eaten piece of apricot. Lucky me. <laughs> so let's just have, have a pause, have a moment of Emmanuel, God with us, something Mary would have felt within her um, and gave birth to um, and that we too learn to and continue to, to discover in our own lives. God, thank you for the story that we look at today, um, this big picture of your incarnating yourself within all things, this lake around me within um, the ground beneath our feet and the stars in the sky and the moons in the sky um, and that you... Uh, incarnate in this story that started with Mary's yes and the complete co-creation and reconnection of divine and and very very earthy and bloody and fleshy um, and may we continue to to stand in the gap where life is not separated in into God stuff and human stuff but it's all enmeshed stuff and our our job now is to to hold those two together and find you and to find us 
and know that our work here is often looks very much like us um, our hair our legs our our hands um, and somehow it is as divine as Mary's yes to to the angel Gabriel um, so we say Emmanuel you are with us um, over Christmas and over this new new period and into the new year um, and we thank you that we are not separate um, and all things are unified in you Amen.